0: This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace, the all in one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and use the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. <clears throat> Hi, Merlin. How's it going? We gotta put that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how you spell it. Lots of P's and Bs. Uh
1: things are uh, things are good. Things are good. It's mm-hmm. um I have not been sleeping enough. Oh dear. I stay up late and then I wake up early and uh, that's the that's a bad combo. Mm-hmm. That leads to some five hours of sleepness. Mm-hmm. Uh, five hours of sleep, uh, and then several days in a row, and then pretty soon you're like, huh, I wonder Mm -hmm. why I feel like killing people.
0: Mm -hmm. It's because I haven't (laughs) been sleeping enough. Homicidal, uh, sleep deprivation. Yeah. No, that's, that's the worst. I mean, uh, you know, you can, you can do one of those, you can do a couple of those and, Mm -hmm. you know, and also the thing is if you're, I I don't know if it's because you're busy or you're not busy or you're, you're pseudo busy, but like if you're really busy, like yeah. you've got a deadline and you do that, you get some kind of like an adrenaline thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where you get mad at the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like oh no, like, I like that.
1: I work well under those circumstances.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> but
1: last night I was lying in bed and, uh, oh, and, by the way, happy, happy new year, John. Oh, is it? Oh yeah. Thank you. It's, happy, I feel I mm-hmm. had a pretty good new year. Yeah. So I just want to make sure <laughs> I had a pretty good new year time. Um, uh, the guy across the street that's living in the van, uh, that I have realized his name isn't Vanny, it's Gary. And of course, if you're living in a van behind a hedge, of course your name is Gary.
0: <laughs> Gar- Man, Gar- that's su- <laughs> why
1: is that such a perfect name? I don't know, Gary. And he and I have had several I- encounters lately, and Gary has uh, has that uh, thing where you see him and you talk to him for uh, 45 minutes, and then you see him the next day, and, and he's never met you before. <laughs> But i so I ended up i 've tried to call my across the street neighbor several times, and it's it 's a thing where the the anonymous voicemail voice answers the phone and says the mailbox is full and oh, then just no. hangs up on you and it's and it 's a weird voice it 's not the voice. That you normally hear, it's like a voice that you might hear if you bought your phone at a gas
0: station. Yeah, like a Verizon voice or something.
1: Some kind of weird voice where it's like, oh, the moist message mailbox you're trying to reach is full. Click. And so I was like, uh, you know, Gary's out there. He's yelling. He's yelling into the phone. He's yelling at his ex-wife. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't want to, I you know, I don't want to hit him with the fire hose, but... <laughs> Something's got to, you know. Like wh- wh- I started to—he won't, to a- won't remember the next day. Luckily, <laughs> I started to ask myself the question: Hey, what's the long game here? Is Gary going to live in the van in the front yard of my neighbor's house for another year, for two years, for five years? Like mm-hmm. there's a—it's li- starting to. He's a very angry guy, and I have a little kid. Right. So I so I called the neighbor, went to straight to voicemail, but then miraculously she called me back.
0: Oh, so she's. And- She's just, so, just for folks who haven't been been following this. You were pretty worried about her for a while. You hadn't seen her in a while. There were people was, moving in and out. There appeared to be some parties, a lot of quiet yeah, talking, was, goods coming in and out of the house.
1: It was a bad scene for a while, and then it calmed down, and you know, and there was a kind of a new normal, which was at least it's quiet and the and the, the regular characters are there. But I hadn't seen her in a long time. But I figured, you know, I figured if they had uh, if they'd buried her in a shallow grave, they wouldn't just be coming and going with. The, with uh, like 7 bags and stuff. You know, they'd be hightailing it or they'd be stripping the copper pipes or something. Right. Anyway, I called her. She called me back. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. She's like, hey, I saw that you called. And I was like, hi. I haven't talked to you in a long time. She's like, hi, nice to hear from you. It's 1 a.m. And in between our two houses, there are two things. There's a, uh, a laurel hedge that's 25 feet tall. And there is a 1968 Ford van slowly rusting into the ground (laughs) with four flat tires. I'm doing it by Gary. And in the middle of the van is Gary. (laughs) And Gary is, and there's an extension cord running from the van to to the outlet on the front of her house. And Gary is audible to me, quite audible, in the van going, God fucking damn it, fuck you! Fuck it, fuck it. You know, just like having a, an explosion of rage.
0: Fall on that's Yosemite
1: been, Sam. That's been lasting for like you know long enough. It's been lasting long enough that I that I decided I was going to like call my neighbor. And she's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "Well, I'm calling about Gary." And she was like, "Yeah."
0: And I'm like, "You're no. not going to make this easy for me, are you?" <laughs> okay, Gary. Had... She didn't even suck air. She didn't even go. Yeah, no.
1: Gary. No, 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 nothing. Just like yeah.
0: And I think what it
1: is is that there is a place in her house she can go where she doesn't hear Gary. And there, I mean, there are places in my house where I can go, but those places are not my living room or bedroom. And I'm like, Gary is, Gary. I have to be honest with you, Gary's starting to be a problem for me. And she's like, yeah. And then she does kind of soften and she's like, yeah, Gary, Gary needs to go. And I'm like, I didn't really want to be the one that to say it, but... You know, Gary, I think, I really think Gary's got to go. And she was like, Yeah, he's really gotten to be a problem. He started to, he's cussing me out now. And I'm like, I know you want to help Gary, but I, it I started just
0: started out. Do you remember right that it started out as her kind of helping rehab him? Yeah,
1: she thought for a while she was going to run a little rehab house there. And then she got engaged to one of the guys. And then the other guy is fucking living in his van for a year at least. And so we had a very nice conversation about how Gary. Needed to hustle, uh, you know, shuffle off to Buffalo. And on the one hand, I'm thinking, you know, it's the holidays. It's right around the new year. It's a vulnerable time for everybody. Maybe, maybe I should take a softer line on Gary right now. And then the other uh, voice in my head was like, what? No, fuck Gary. Uh, uh, Everybody hits a bottom. And sometimes your bottom is that uh, the next door neighbor finally calls and says that you that there that he's going to send a tow truck for your van. Are you there, still?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm listening. I'm thinking. So it's I, it's it's it's, it's, dif- it's so difficult because it is difficult. When I have those conversations, I'm braced for it to go poorly, and you know, and I I don't want to be confront. I hate being confrontational with people about stuff that is right on the bubble of their business and not my business. Yep, yep. I'm so yep. uncomfortable about it. I really. You know, it's whether it's a teenager having a party or somebody parking in the driveway or whatever, I just think, like, how much of this is in my head, personally, how much of this is in my head and I could just be a fucking gentleman and let it go? And yeah. then I, when you have the nice conversation, I don't feel that much better, because now mm. I, I really do feel like a party pooper when I have that conversation.
1: Well, and also, now, we broached the topic, so if Gary's still there in a week, which he absolutely is going to be, then... There's a new uncomfortableness, which is we talked about gary getting uh, Gary getting gone, and now <clears throat> there's the there's the um there's the implication of a timeline because we've had a conversation
0: about it and she's implicitly agreed that it should happen yeah implicitly that, that it will happen, yeah, that it will happen,
1: and so then it's like every time I see her now it's like so. How's it going with Gary? Are we where are we at on that? And that is like not that's not a relationship I want to have with her, you know. I she she definitely has an uphill climb, and I mean for a year I've I haven't said a word about it because because it does it falls into that category. Like well, it's on her property and it is her business, and if Gary was her boyfriend and he was in there drunkenly screaming into the phone every night and be like well that's just what happens when you live in a neighborhood right right but gary is <laughs> there's a, the crucial distinction which is gary is living in the front yard mm-hmm. and the front yard is enough of a it's it's not it's still on her property but it's it is public space in the sense and, and, that
0: and john it, it is a van It's a van. And it's... I mean... A a year is a long time for someone to live in a van in someone's front yard. And you know, that's Gary's... in the driveway. That's
1: Gary's life choice or whatever. Uh, But the thing is, the van is tucked behind this laurel hedge in a way that the cops are not aware it's there. Nobody's aware it's there. I thought about it the other day. If the hedge wasn't there, and it was just this rusting-ass piece-of-shit van with an extension cord going in one of the windows, and a guy in there yelling into his phone, like... Other people would have taken notice, but and you know, and like Health and Human Services or whatever would have said, Are you, but Gary, are you pissing in a bucket? Like, where, <laughs> how, how much access does Gary have to the house? And how, and like, that's a crucial, especially if you're, if you're a chronic alcoholic, like sometimes you've got to go to the bathroom.
0: I just always it's, think about fires. I don't know why. As I get older, I think about like, you know, maybe uh, Gary nods off. The Marlboro mm-hmm. Red going. Mm-hmm. You know next I mean? thing you know,
1: next thing you know, it's a he's like he's a can of beans,
0: <laughs> and all his court orders are
1: just Kindle. <laughs> because my next, my other next door neighbor, Patrick, Patrick, every are once these in a while, names John. <laughs> Patrick will drop a little science on me every once in a while about Gary. He's like, "Do you hear that guy? Do you hear that guy out there slamming his van door and stuff in the middle of the night?" And I'm like, "Oh, I hear him." Patrick, you know, Patrick is, is definitely, he, he errs on the other side of, like, what happens on your property is your business. Patrick's also the guy that, that fired a gun in the air when some teenage kid climbed on the roof to <laughs>
0: Patrick, right?
1: Talk to, his, talk to his teenage daughter. And so, I mean, I know Patrick, when the chips are down, Patrick's capable of, like, handling a situation.
0: <laughs> if you needed to do a full Gary extraction. Yeah. You could count Patrick, on him in his underwear with a gun in the street. Something. Something.
1: I <laughs> mean uh, back. And I think I think Patrick's actually, you know, off the sauce too. So the whole neighborhood's cleaning up. But uh <laughs> like, Gary's the last he's the last of the Mohicans. And uh and I just uh, whew. I mean I'm you know I'm I'm glad that we finally had the conversation, but now it's getting now I don't know what to do. I don't you know there have been times when I've thought that I would just run a hose from Gary's tailpipe right into the back window, and then we'd <laughs> solve the problem completely. But Gary never turns the motor on because the van doesn't run anymore. <laughs> so, anyway, that's uh, that, and that's not why I'm not sleeping. The reason I'm not sleeping is that I sit up until five o'clock in the morning looking at eBay on my phone.
0: <laughs> but right,
1: but Gary screaming at his ex-wife isn't helping me. Right. And I wonder what the hell she's doing at 1 o'clock in the morning taking these hour-long phone calls. You know what I mean? Like, I, if, if I were her, I would have – I'd hang up the phone after a certain – after, like, the 40th raged fuck you. I'd be like, okay, Gary.
0: <clears throat> That's the thing about, um, <clears throat> about a – what? Uh, I was going to say a toxic personality, but I'll say uh, – let's say an incendiary personality whether that is in real life or on the internet or whatever i'll speak for myself my reaction is to just not poke at it Mm -hmm. i would i would just as soon find some way to just kind of avoid it and Mm -hmm. that's probably that's kind of what everybody wants to do unless you're somebody who is you know very confrontational like if, if there's if i'm on the train with my kid and uh somebody's having a meltdown. Yep. Um, which has happened, I mean you we've we 've been on the train where they had to stop it and have the cops pull up because the driver had to call the cops where basically the entire part of the car has emptied out except for you know one one homeless guy like melting down and screaming <laughs> obscenities and swinging things around and so in that case like there 's the, certainly there 's a part of me that goes like that 's a human being who 's suffering that 's that 's somebody who like with a little bit of medication and a hot meal might do a little better. My inclination is to just get my kid and move to the other side of the of the train. Right, That's, it's so much easier. And I have to say, in general, I mean, if you're going to live in a city, that is that is a healthy way to be because you can't fix everything, right? And you got to take care of yourself. You got to you know check your six, as you say. Yep. But but you know, I don't like. There's one guy. There's one guy in our neighborhood. Not the not the chicken eating rice throwing guy, but there's one guy in our <laughs> neighborhood who like I I had maybe three years ago, I almost came to blows with, um, I think he's deeply schizophrenic. He sleeps in doorways and, uh, and he would just randomly yell things at people. And and on one particular occasion, I have a pretty thick skin for city stuff, but he got close enough and loud enough when I was with my kid one time that I kind of stepped to him a little bit, which Mm -hmm. as you can imagine is unusual for me. But I felt like it was a situation where I had to stick out my chest a little bit And get past the fog with this guy because it felt like it was kind of like an imminent thing. Yeah. And after that happened, I got really – I would avoid him. I would – I did not like the guy. Yeah. Because he had – you know, I I felt menaced by the guy. You know, and of course, there's a small part of me that felt bad for him. Well, A funny thing happened. Like a year or so later, something happened. Maybe he got picked up and put somewhere for a while. But he got – what I'm guessing is medicated.
1: Right. And got healthy.
0: And he was, he would still be sitting in front of the Walgreens with his hand out. And I mean, and this guy, I mean, we're talking like, like just like, you know, same clothes for, for months, covered yeah, yeah, in, sure. in stuff and just filthy. And, and the thing was though, <clears throat> suddenly, and I won't say his name, but, but eventually he started saying like, um, Hey, any chance you could help me out today? And I was like, Whoa. Uh, hello he's and i was like uh oh, sorry man not today which is of course what you say mm-hmm. but i real and i would hear him having conversations with people and he sounded like a little bit of a crank but he, he wasn't dangerous anymore and I, I don't know i felt like shit about it I, I felt terrible about it because i can't really do that much to help this guy but he is my official adoptive l- homeless guy i wherever i live this is my this is my policy on giving money to homeless people I pick exactly one person yeah. and every time I see them I give them five dollars and, and you and, cho- you chose this guy to be your I've adopted you, him for for like maybe a year and a half now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if i if I got a little cash or I feel like you know sometimes I say I haven't done this in a while i'll I'll just say uh, hey Larry um <laughs> mm-hmm. you know t- take it easy man and hey, you Larry. know but like, I, 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 the whole, every part of that makes me feel like shit. I feel like shit that I got emotional with him. I feel terrible that he is a schizophrenic man living on the streets. And you know where I live? We're in the, we're really in the, in the, uh, outside lands, as they say. It's yeah, nothing like right. what you'd get if you lived in the Castro or something. Right. But I don't know. The whole thing makes me feel terrible. And of course, then it just makes me more filled with self doubt in the same way that I would be reluctant to call out Gary. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a part of me that's like, man, everybody's fucked up. And there hasn't been a fire, so I don't want to be a dick.
1: Yeah, right. And and this is the, you know, the 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 the, the famous old adage, and I don't know whether it was Churchill or Mark Twain or Genghis Khan or Descartes who said hard, it, hard the uh,
0: conservative and liberal. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Any, if you're any not, man who's not a liberal by the time he's, he's a 20 young man is yeah, hard hearted. Right. Anyone who's not a conservative by the time they're forty is soft headed.
1: Yeah, was that Benjamin Disraeli? Who was that? I've that heard it that?
0: attributed to Churchill. Yeah, it's probably Mark Twain.
1: <laughs> it's. I think it's probably it's it's probably Mark Twain talking to Churchill <coughs> or Rumi. Um, but it's one of those it's one of those problems of like when you're a young person, it is it's uh your, your sympathies abound and you and you want to live in a world where none none of those things. You know, it's, it's not possible for people to fall through the cracks like that. You feel in, very invested in the social compact. Why, what, you know, there, there, why is this man left to, what, you know, why can't he be helped? And then as you get older and older, you're like, get the hell off my lawn. Right. And, and you start to feel, even, I mean, I, or certainly I have started to feel as someone who, as a young person, actually slept on park benches quite a bit. Increasingly, as time goes on, I feel like some of these problems are intractable. Mental health problems, social, the the, the social compact is not airtight. And a lot of these problems, you know, do, do not have simple solutions. I mean, my mom spent years walking around town adopting homeless people to the to the point that she would bring them home with her and reestablish contact with their families wow. and and you know go through these elaborate processes get them on their medication find them work all these things and then 6 m- months and and the transformation was incredible and you'd have these you'd have these moments with her where you're just like you are a, you're an absolute angel and look what's happened Th- this guy used to be uh, Sitting in front of the supermarket like with drool down his face, and now he's like wearing a tie he's going to work he's lucid and, and 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 turns out an amazing guy and then nine months later he'd decide on his own volition to stop taking his medication and and then he'd lose his job and then a few months later he's living under the freeway again, and you get that that other sense of frustration of like, wow, that was a, that was a year. It, it's not just a year's work sort of, uh, to end up right back where we started, but also the emotional journey of like, yeah wow, I don't any, you know, my mom would come out of those experiences feeling like I don't anymore feel like I can, I I don't know how to help. It's not that I don't feel like I can help, but like giving the guy $5 for a bottle of wine is one form of it. Trying to get him in touch with his family back in Ohio is another form of it. And, and ultimately the thing that most people do, which is sorry, man, or, or worse is another form of it. And, and, uh, I don't know the, the solution isn't easy. And in particular with my neighbors, you know, my neighborhood is what, we would have in the past referred to as a respectable lower middle class neighborhood.
0: Everybody there is. It's a a working class, diverse working class neighborhood,
1: diverse working class neighborhood where, where people are, you know, they don't have a disposable income to really care for their yards or houses in a, in a, in a way that you would drive through and say like, wow, these, this neighborhood's got curb appeal, (laughs) but, People are minding their own business and they're making their payments and they are, you know, they are solid. And a fair, fair number of people who own their house? I think everybody in the neighborhood does with the, you know, with the, with the exception of those houses where there are a lot of people living. That's, that seems so unusual today. Well, and it's one of the differences of uh, of of Seattle and Portland compared to a lot of American cities, which is that there aren't really... There are there aren't really ghettos here. There are single family homes, and there are neighborhoods that are rich and neighborhoods that are poor. And there are some housing projects, but even those housing projects are are built to look and emulate uh, single family home neighborhoods with winding mm-hmm. streets and basketball hoops at the at the cul de sac. And
0: in San Francisco, the only way you can tell sometimes is very large signs and very bright lights. That's right. The 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 arc lights.
1: Used to be the way you could tell. Now Seattle has done away with that, like um, concentration camp lighting, and even the even the poorest neighborhoods in the city kind of just have have a, have a neighborhood vibe. But but you know the conflict between me and Gary, for instance, or you know or my interest in the house across the street is also tied up in a lot of class issues where oh, I'm totally super concerned about being the you know, about being someone who's moved into the neighborhood. And the thing is, I've lived in that house longer than they've lived in that house, right? I mean, it's not like I moved into their neighborhood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but the, the question of like, hey, okay, um, like here, there, gotta be some, there's got to be some level of decorum here that doesn't include, for instance, that party where people were just ransacking the house. Um, but at the same time, it's like I don't know. Maybe I've been to a lot of parties where it would have looked to an outsider like like we were just stripping the house, and it wasn't that at all. And you know, and, and I I no longer have the another thing you another mistake you can make in in youth is thinking that because you slept on some park benches for a, for a few nights that you have real insight into what it is to be poor. And um, and I no longer make that mistake of of assuming that like I'm uh, you know that w- that I'm inside their heads and that we all share like uh, a common life experience right. But I'm you know I mean what <laughs> I'm a homeowner and and um, and I also feel a little bit of that that creeping Republicanism of like. I'm a homeowner. I mean, just to say those words in respect to what your neighbors are doing across the street, Mm -hmm. like as a homeowner, I feel like we need to, we need to start having like uh, a homeowner meetings where we, we go around, go around the room and say like, okay, who's got
0: a guy living in a van in his front yard? Anybody? Right. How many people? Let's see a show of hands. Well, you know, there was that the phrase that went around a lot. And one of the many, many Malcolm Gladwellisms that has been kind of or partly or mostly disproven, broken windows syndrome. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, the thing, as I understand it, the part that was disproven about broken windows syndrome was not the part that if there's a few broken windows, you get more broken windows. The part that seems a little disproven is that fixing those windows does make a substantial difference, Right. But I, I mean, I'll just say this is totally anecdotal. But I think the first part is still very true. Yeah, which I is like so. what you put up with becomes okay. And then once that's okay, then more stuff that's not so great becomes okay as well. Yeah, it's it's, the new it's, normal I mean, look no thought. further than the place where you walk in and put your mail down. You come in, you put your mail down. That used to be a working surface and now it's covered with mail. Like that takes a week. And I think it's, I think it's true. I mean, like, you know, do you want to be in the neighborhood where it's okay for somebody to just have a a van in the yard and somebody who's a little unstable living in it for a year? Yeah. Yeah. My dad called that, uh, that table, the magic
1: table, because if you put something down on the top of it (laughs) within a couple of weeks, it would be at the bottom of the pile. And that seemed magic to him. (laughs) Uh, and then his solution was at a certain point when it, when it was teetering, the pile was teetering, he would sweep it all into a cardboard box put the cardboard box at the bottom of a closet
0: and then wait and, and every then, passed away you got it yeah then wait 30 <laughs> years and die that was his, uh, I still that was do plan. that I do that with our microwave where you open the door of the microwave and a, a leather man and a bill fall off and it's like that's <laughs> it and I give, I sweep everything into a box <laughs> put it in the closet <laughs> the, this the, is my legacy the the stuff with I don't know this is, <coughs> this is not good for our our Happy New Year episode but mm. you know the stuff about dealing with folks who have like uh, serious you know mental and chemical stuff y- you know you hear these stories about you know you talk about the family and getting in touch with the family and there are a lot of families who quietly have somebody in their family who's kind of in and out of the system mm. on and off of the streets for decades mm. I mean you don't you don't have to poke around very far to find somebody who has a brother. Or maybe has a mother, for that matter, who is just kind of they're they're definitely part of the family tree, but there's no amount of quote unquote helping them that anybody can can do that will actually fix the problem. And they're just right. in and out of the system all the time. And those people aren't happy people, but there's a certain kind of resolution. It's like when on the wire, you know, when when Bubbles goes to his sister's house, and he's like, "I cleaned up," and she's like, "Here's a key. You can go in the basement. I don't ever <laughs> want to see you." That's right. (laughs) You fucked me enough times. Exactly. I'm never going to believe you again. Eventually, eventually the tie comes off and you're back under the bridge. And it's like, it's just, it's so much more complicated than anybody. If you're not around it all the time, Um, certainly I'm not an expert on it, but I do know that something like homelessness is way more, it it is at some level very much an economic issue, but there's a lot more to it than that. It might be economics, but you know, you've been to the hate. There's, there's a there's a lot of people living on the street in, in the hate or like the panhandle, who I'm pretty sure will probably be in college in the next five years. Mm. They, they've mm-hmm. chosen to be like a, a skate rat. They've, they've joined the proletariat, and they who knows they might come out of it. A lot of people, if it is purely economical, they do not want to go to a shelter because yeah. that's where you get stabbed. Yeah, it's you know anyway.
1: I mean the 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 confusing thing about it is that at a, on a one on one level, we've all had experiences where you, where you say like, oh, this, and it isn't just mental illness, homelessness, drug abuse, but situations where you go, this is an intractable, intractable, intractable,
0: intractable.
1: Thank you. Intractable problem. Um, I've tried, you know, like my kid is a drug addict. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried... I've tried tough love, I've tried love, love, I've tried help, I've tried ignoring.
0: I've certainly tried ignoring it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've tried all the things. And each of us has has had experiences, and all families and all individual people have had experiences. And, and, And even just with people where you're like, I've been trying to explain to them for five years that living paycheck to paycheck is is like a risky proposition and that they should put 50 bucks in the bank every time they get a paycheck. And if they did that for a year, then they'd have a little bit of money and they wouldn't feel so insecure. And you try and explain that to somebody for three years, five years, and you realize like, Oh, nothing I'm doing here can help. This person does not want to know this. They don't want to hear it. And they keep spending every paycheck they get. And then they keep having financial crises and they keep acting like it's a big mystery and that then that there's something unfair about it, you know, that like, why does everybody else get to like go on vacation? It's like, well, some people save their money and you don't. And But the the problem is we understand those on personal, on a, at a personal level. Mm-hmm. But whenever we start talking as a society and a culture about those problems taken to a larger scale, then all of a sudden it becomes much harder to say some problems are unsolvable because we have such faith in ourselves and in technology and in our, and in our thought technologies. We have such faith, particularly in the 19th and 20th centuries, that we can solve all problems. And it's right. just a matter of applying the right theory and the right engine and and things become politicized so then it it it's it's not just that that these people that there's a problem with drug abuse but it's a problem with drug abuse and the other political party has the wrong attitude about it and then it's a battle and the implication is if the other if the other side of the coin here wasn't resisting the reforms that we have in mind, right? We would have solved this problem a long time ago, and it's like, well, every time some a new Congress gets elected, we apply all the the new reforms uh, that the last party was standing in the in the way of, and, and the problem never gets solved. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult as a society to say, well, all we can do is manage this problem, and we're never not. And not everyone is always, not everyone can be healthy and not everyone can be, um, not every problem can get solved. And so what, what's the best management of it? And Seattle just started doing a thing a couple of years ago where they built a, they built a a, sort of a hotel for chronic alcoholics where they gave them an allotment of booze every day.
0: I've heard about this. I've heard about yeah. these different programs of, like, it actually uh, costs less money in the long run to set somebody up somewhere than to put them into the system. Yeah,
1: right. I mean, they're, they're just like, these are the people that uh, that uh, three times a month are getting lift uh, uh, you know, transported to the emergency room in an ambulance, right. and every one of those times costs $8,000, and then they spend the night in a, in the hospital, and that costs $8,000. And... We could put them in a hotel and give them uh, a liter of alcohol a day, and that would just cost us $2,000 a month, and they would be happy. And- it's like when Bunny Colvin started Hamsterdam. <laughs> that's, that's right. And, they're, you know, and, and the problem is like the activist classes don't know what to do with that information because on the one hand, it's much more humane, but on the other hand, it seems... Again, like it's management. No one is suggesting that these people are going to get better. Right. It's just like, here's your leader of booze and the key to your room and try not to, like, try, try not to bleed on the toilet. See in the morning. And it's, there's nothing pretty about it. But, but, uh, human beings are, are, um, I don't know. This is the, this is one of the major themes of, of my life is like,
0: yeah.
1: How far. From animals, are we really?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I have a similar, maybe slightly different. My, my, if there's anything that I feel like has been um, both super useful and extremely vexing in my journey to trying to figure out you know, whatever you want to call it productivity, creativity, just problem solving. There's uh, one of the things I think I mentioned, I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago in, in uh, an episode, but you know, it's, I feel like um, any solution that's uncomplicated is probably not true and probably not mm. real mm. it's like if you haven't found something complicated yet you aren't near the truth <laughs> if you if it seems if it seems simple you're you're not done looking you haven't yeah, read right. beyond happily ever after and so or you're or you are or you are meticulously
1: avoiding looking at the things you don't want to look at
0: a hundred percent and that's why i mean now this might be a little bit too neat and i might be guilty of my own thing here but You know, it's, it's, you have to understand that everything in life is an engineering problem. There's probably at least three different vectors to everything. And anytime you try to solve one problem, one way, the one of the first questions to ask yourself, especially if you're a lawmaker, or, or, you know, a public person is, how much am I doing about this to just change the way that it looks? Yeah. Um, and because if you want to just change the way something looks, there's a thousand different angles you can take. You can cook the books. You can put people in uh, and move them over to Amsterdam. Like there's all kinds of ways that you can change the appearance of something. It's just that once you try to actually change anything, you realize you're actually changing, or another way to put it, rather than changing, is you're upending. You are chaoticizing probably five or six different things, unintended consequences, and like this. What is it you really want to change? So the phrase I always use in this productivity stuff is. Ask yourself if you're solving the right problem at the right level for the right reasons. Because if you don't line those up, all you're going to do is it's all optics. It's all just changing how shit looks. And so the thing is, if you're mostly sad because you see homeless people on the street, your solution, one solution might be to give them $5 for wine. Another solution might be to put them all into some kind of a, a camp, you know. <laughs> but like, are you, are you really trying to solve? Uh, you can't ever solve the total problem of class status and economics in America. So at what level will you try to solve that? And then you have to, if you scope that correctly, you can have successes, but they won't be permanent successes. They won't be easy successes, and they won't be complete successes. And that's what everybody thinks they want. They think if we can't do this completely, perfectly, it's not worth doing. And so, anyway, that's a little bit of a rant, and and,
1: and that is confused. That that that's that is absolutely another another angle to it, which is that no one wants, no one, uh, no one is satisfied with a with a half victory, right? Because because so much of the so much of these questions is what energizes the whole political machine in America like if 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 a problem if we call a problem solved uh then the the fundraising engine dries up and the right. and the um the outrage engine dries up and so so there uh, these these ideas, these big ideas, and people's lives, really, ultimately, are, are pitted against one another in order to keep this big machine of the, of the chattering classes and the legislating classes employed. And it, what amazes me about the Congress is that they find a way to, every year, uh, make a bunch of new laws, and it's like there are a lot of laws already. The question is so infrequently that we need a new law. And that standard, applying the standard of like making a new law should be a last resort. And so there's a lot of work that the Congress can do. The, the big glamorous work that they do is make a new law. Right. And we just keep making new laws. And the old laws are like all these skin flakes carpeting the bed where the Congress lays. Where right. carpeting- like they, they don't
0: they don't work anymore. We don't look at the fact that it's that this this legacy of crafty laws go. Oh well, there were, remember there were people a hundred or fifty or twenty five years ago who had the same bright idea. Let's go make yeah. a law. That's right, exactly.
1: And 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 we don't as a we're not very reflective as a people. We don't look no. back at our at our legacy, at our recent history even, and say. Were, were these attempts, like, uh, le- use the power of metaphor. Were these attempts that we made 25 years ago, 50 years ago, were they successful? And in what ways were they successful? But also, in what ways were they were they failures, utter failures? And why would we go down that road again a hundred times, a thousand times? And it's that we are, boy, we are imperfect and, and unlikable little... Fucking pig bugs. God damn it. Human it, beings, it, it, I'm looking out
0: the window right now at the at the freeway on-ramp, and I'm just like, God damn you! <laughs> pig bugs. You know, the, the other part of this, that, man, it's just, it's so beyond obvious, but, man, that's the stuff we always miss, is, like, you know, what vast percentage of the time do we think laws need to be made because other people need to be stopped from doing something? Mm-hmm. There's no, There are very, very few people out there who are saying that they need a law passed about them. There are very few people who say, you know what, I'm pretty irresponsible in this one area, so I should have some kind of uh, threat of criminal or civil law introduced so that I'll become a better person. I it's need some laws against people. me. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, but we're always, we're always looking for all these other people who have caused our problems, and yeah. then we want a law passed about them. And then there's this entire inefficient arm, inefficient arms, inefficient limbs of government who are expected to sweep out and do that in a way that's going to be fair. Yeah. Oh, God, fucking people.
1: Oh, my God. There they are. They're all out there. They're wandering around. Mm-hmm. They're stopping at stoplights. Then the light turns green and they go. And they take the whole
0: width of the uh, walkway. It's
1: just so... And, you know, and at a... At at the, at the level of being a parent and watching, uh, watching a child kind of navigate the, the very first sort of human first real human interactions. I mean, when they're little babies, right? They're just sort of like, Oh, there they are. Look at them go. Like throw some food in their crate and put a blanket (laughs) over it. And, uh, and then we'll see them in the morning. But you know, when, when, uh, when my daughter has, she started now to have interactions at school that I recognize as human interactions and ones that like, Oh, this is her first encounter with this.
0: And, a certain I, kind a certain kind of interaction that, that that she'll have thousands of times in her life. That
1: she'll have thousands of times. And this is the first and one. <laughs> it's the first one. And she looks at me and she goes, what's going on here? And I think, I wish I could tell you. Because everybody I know, myself included, wants to kneel down and say, listen, here's what's going on and here's how you deal with it. But the reality is, I am still in this situation that you're in and I still don't know how to deal with it.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. And... I, there's no there's no easy way for me to say this, uh, and there's certainly no way for me to say this, that it will not be just a dumb cliche, but, like, there is just so much stuff in life that is simply not fair. Yeah, right. Every little kid has an innate sense of justice. That's why, yes. that's why they call the goat nature's president. Um <laughs> Every child, every child, <laughs> every child has an innate sense that of, of fairness that mostly leans toward them. So it's one they, of the most powerful instincts that they have. Is but, the it, sense but it's of a self preservation instinct, and it's a fairness to them instinct. There's 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 not there's they haven't evolved enough. And very few of us have evolved enough to go. Well, let's make sure everybody got something here. You're it's right. definitely a sense of like that person that they got a balloon, they got a balloon, they got a balloon. I better have a balloon coming. Yeah, you know, well, this other kid got just, ice cream. I, I should get ice cream.
1: Or just that the yeah. I mean, one of the things that we're experiencing is like, well, other kids throw tantrums in front of their parents and say no, and and push their hand in their parents' face, and why shouldn't I?
0: I've That's got a, a I've, behavior. hundred percent. And I've 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 got a drum beat that is such fucking weak sauce, but it's the only thing I can always say, which is. You know, like, for example, we're, we're standing at the uh, crosswalk, and as happens, people start walking before the signal is changed. Mm-hmm. And she starts walking, and I say, no, we we walk when it's safe for us to walk. Do not rely on what other people do or don't do to help you decide what's right and safe. So, you know, we're going to do this in our own way because that's, that's who we are. The, That's right. the people that we are is that we do the right thing. We, we don't do this thing because there's a law. We don't do this thing because, we, you know, that certainly could be part of it. But we do this because this is who we are. Yeah. And I, I don't – and I feel like such, a, such an idiot, like such, a, such a, a, a limp-wristed liberal when I say that. But I, I hope that that becomes true in the same way that I hope it's true when I say it to myself. Well, I do. The, I, I say it to remind myself of that, too. We could cross. We could cross 50 times and we would, against the light, and we'd probably be fine. But that's not who we're going to be.
1: It's the core of civilization. It, I mean, that internal governing is the basis of the idea that we should, we should all be philosopher kings, that we should live in a—I mean, the whole premise—
0: <laughs> Philosopher right? kings, fake it till you make it.
1: <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole premise of a civil society is that we each are internally governed, and so don't need— Uh, don't need restrictive laws i mean uh, both there are versions of that on both sides of the political spectrum which uh, which presumes the best about people and it used to be that there was a lot more energy devoted to that idea in our culture where we where we said to ourselves and to one another like this is not what we do it's not we're not we 're not not committing a crime because we 're afraid of getting caught or because there 's a video camera watching us we 're not committing a crime because we do we do not commit crimes right and this is the problem with the the whole uh, uh, the whole torture thing the whole bush Cheney doctrine in American politics is that we squandered we squandered that uh, it, on a global political level the all of, our,
0: all of our good deeds and a measure of moral authority just was just 50 years of that just went out those 60 years just went out it. the window just smoked it every time uh, every time we, we built a well or rebuilt something we blew up like that all went away when people saw how full of shit we were.
1: Yeah, and and that is that's true on a micro level too and all around us every day. You know, this is why this is why we're always ha- harping on this stuff of like the little the little shit. Like, don't take your shoes off on a airplane. Don't wear your fedora into a, a restaurant. Don't stand there with your earphones in and you know and uh, and piss on my shoes or whatever. And it's not because it's not because it's illegal, right? I mean, all the people that are like, why shouldn't I wear my pajamas on an airplane? It's like, I mean. <laughs> It's not illegal. That's true. And (laughs) yet (laughs) and that's basically like their starting point. Like it's not illegal. It's a free country. And it's like, right, but like if you don't maintain standards, and I would suggest high standards, personally, then you can't you then you're living in a world where if it's not illegal, it's gonna get done. And how would you like it if your neighbors felt that way too? You know, how would you like it if the people that you're encountering? We're also just making decisions based on what was legal or not. I mean, it's you're living in you're living in chaos, and we are descending culturally. We really are. There there is there is an, a, a we have lost a lot, and we've gained a lot.
0: Uh, in the we're last, we're losing. We're losing a lot of. I, I feel this personally as i have to go and be around other people less as a matter of course i notice it in myself as i have to remember to try and do the right thing but you know uh boy what level do you want do you want to attack it at but i think i feel like as a culture just obs- observing people are either becoming less mindful about how to act and how to how to be jostled by other people and be okay how to like just deal with even the, whether it's like getting on and off of the, the train knowing how to wait in line at the store like everybody's so fucking mad all the time yeah and, and, and that, so that, this is this sounds contradictory because we, we are the authors of keep moving and get out of the way but keep moving and get out of the way is at the heart of it like that's the most basic like what what greater kindness in the world could there be that's absolutely right than, than to get keep moving and get out of the way but then so, when you're you in know, line, don't don't huff traffic, and puff. Don't make huff and puff noises in line. Don't do that. Slower traffic moves right. Not because there's a sign,
1: but because And not because we're mean. <laughs> not because we're mean, but because what that what that suggests, what that implies, is that you are looking in your mirrors, conscious that there are other people on the road, and you are trying to get out of the way of somebody who's got a different who's got a different tempo. And that is courtesy, right? That's I mean and this is the thing about tipping your hat right when we talked about that several uh, episodes ago mm-hmm. i was reminded about the power of tipping your hat that i had kind of in the in the the daily grind of the city had had neglected to tip my hat all the time right i had i had resorted to tipping my hat just when i was opening opening the door for somebody at a hotel but for the most part walking around with my hat on my head, passing people in the street, even looking at them and nodding, I was leaving aside that little gesture, the fingers to the brim of the hat, and a little like, ta-da. And so we talked about it on the show, and I went out into the world and started tipping my hat to people. And it's amazing how much better it makes me feel. It's
0: It's nice for everybody.
1: And you get the smiles from people, you get like the... The uh, I passed a guy. I was it was like two o'clock in the morning. I'm walking on a on a deserted street, and it's one of those streets that's like you're walking along. You're in a neighborhood, and then all of a sudden, there's trees all around, and then all of a sudden, the trees have kind of grown over the street, and you are and you can't see any lights, and you're like, where the hell? What neighborhood am I in? I would, thought I was in the city, and now I'm like I'm in uh, like a scary book. And here comes a guy down the sidewalk with his hoodie all the way over shrouding his eyes. And he and I are going to meet. We're going to cross paths at the most brambly, spooky little part of this spooky little uh, 200 yards. And he's got his hands jammed into his pockets. And you can see from his body language that like He is, he's toughening up for this encounter. He's taller than I am, and he's a black guy. And he's like, I can see him getting ready for this like pass that we're gonna have to make. And I feel myself getting ready like, how's this gonna go? What are we gonna do as we Mm -hmm. pass in this shadowy little uh, spot? And as we get closer, so that, so that we're within eye contact of each other, he makes the choice to look at me. And he could have made the choice to not look at me, and that would have set a certain tone. But he makes the choice to, to experiment. You know, he just sends his eye beams out from under, from under his hood, like, looks at me, and I tip my hat to him. And we both, like, he, he stands up a little straighter, Big smile across his face. I stand up a little straighter. Big smile across my face, and he goes, "Hello," and I say, "Good evening." And we're and and we're like at a ren fair, you know. And all of a suddenly sudden, you are like,
0: both the Monopoly Man.
1: Yeah, well, then we're both Paul <laughs> and Storm. Like, "Hello, good evening, good sir." And I am like, and and he, uh, you know, he goes on with his day. I go on with my day, and both of us had what could have been. There there were tw- 20 different levels that that could have gone, and 18 of them were that we just pass in the night and have – and carry away from that encounter some – uh it, it would have reinforced some pre-belief about how things are, right? Right, and that's like, how you both prepped. Yeah, we, wa- we prepped walk past each other and it's like, that. oh, okay, that guy, right. I mean, good yeah. thing – Good, You know, like I'm thinking, oh, good thing he didn't uh, mug me. And he's thinking like, oh, good thing he didn't call the cops and they shot me. And all of those narratives, pre-existing sort of bullshit narratives, we could have reinforced in that moment. And instead, we both were clowns, like goofy <laughs> dorks, which is what we all want to be, right? Hello. Yeah. And, there's, and the thing is, nobody's watching, right? So we can be a little dorky. There wasn't a third party across the street smoking a cigarette who was going to shout out like, ha ha, you guys are dorks. Right. And so we got a We got a little moment and it's all in that. Like, I mean, uh, honestly him looking at me was, was brave. And then that little tip of the cap was waiting. It was a gesture I had in my arsenal of civilization, which is like, I receive your eye, uh, your, you, you know, your brave gesture of looking and I, and I, I honor it, sir,
0: with a little bit of steampunk (laughs) horseshit. And he thought to himself, John Roderick seems so much nicer than I would have expected. (laughs) He's like, wait a minute, isn't that the guy on the music council? (laughs) This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace. The All in one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. Squarespace makes everything so simple and easy with their beautiful design templates and easy drag-and-drop content. You spend less time fussing with all the computer maths and more time putting your great stuff in front of your audience. If you're ever stuck, don't panic. Squarespace offers 24 by 7 support through live chat and email via their Crackerjack teams in New York City, Dublin, and Portland. Squarespace plans start at only $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name when you sign up for a year. You can start your free trial today with no credit card required and begin building your own website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, please make sure you tell them you heard about it from Roderick on the Line by using that special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. That gets you 10% off your first purchase, and it shows your support for Roderick on the Line. We thank Squarespace very much for their amazing product and for supporting Roderick on the Line. Squarespace. Better websites for all, <laughs> counselor, <laughs> counselor, counselor. Good to see you. Nice to see you.
1: But the thing, the thing about being in school that I, uh, uh, with little kids, that I realize is, is it, it's, it's a, it's a, it reinforces the other thing, which is that we cannot perfectly understand ourselves, and the whole premise. That's been in place ever since I was a kid in our culture. That the banner is still flown by so many people that we are completely makeable by culture. And that we can that all of these things about or, or ourselves how that
0: it's like a, it's like a recipe if you get the ingredients right and bake it just the right amount of time, you become a good cultured person
1: yeah well or or in particular, just like the differences between the genders it's a it's a it, 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 it's another one of these kind of issues where it's like oh all these things all these character characteristics that people exhibit are enculturated in us right male violence and uh
0: and, and female just, helplessness.
1: Female helplessness and all these things that just seem like if we could perfectly engineer our culture and if we could eradicate these ideas, if we could eradicate these systems from our culture, then we would be able to achieve, uh, again, like the end goal of like perfect equality. And you, then you watch little kids and you're like, oh my God, there's nothing engineered about it. Like they, they, they're just... There are so many of our human traits that are innate in us and not even, I mean, a lot of them we attribute to gender and they aren't even. They're just human traits across a wide spectrum and impossible to to codify, impossible to engineer either in or out, and all you can do is just create, like reciprocating cultures of shame and unhappiness and and dissatisfaction by by getting in there and monkeying and trying to intervene i mean this is the thing about like little kids hit each other and you can't let them do it you say hey we can't hit each other in here and they look at you like you're an idiot because of course you can hit each other like they just did it they just showed you how to hit somebody did you ever try it it works great that person was trying to get my doll, and I hit him, and now they now they stopped. What are you? Why are you telling me I can't? It's the most effective strategy I've ever devised," says <laughs> three three year old brain, you know. And you're like, well, we can't, we can't hit each other because we don't allow it. Because if we allowed it, then we would be in a state of perpetual violence with each other because we all feel that way. We walk down the street and we're just like, oh, I just wish I could hit all these people. And then it's like, except I don't want to get hit myself. And ah, it's really
0: but like it does come back to a little bit of the fair play on some level.
1: Uh, well, in, in the sense that only in the sense that you don't want to get hit yourself. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of fair play being that the, sm- the smaller kid gets it worse than the bigger kid if everybody's allowed to hit each other i mean that's the beginning of sort of fairness rather than just sort of we don't we don't hit each other because we don't like to be hit but also this other idea of like we can't let the big kid get his way over the little kid just because he's big and you know that's a very human like i think i think animals don't I mean, uh, you know, like uh, orangutans or lions understand the concept of don't just bite your friend because he's going to bite you. Like, that's a pretty simple idea. But the human idea of like, don't, we're not going to, we're all going to agree that it's not fair for the big kid to get his way more often than the little kid. That's a thing that the animals don't share with us. That's, a, that's the beginning of a human that's the beginning of society,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's you know, so much stuff follows from that that we're gonna we're gonna intervene, and 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 one of the things is that the little kid, the little kid de- has traditionally developed strategies to deal with being being swatted by the big kid right the little kid develops other skills and those other skills are part of the part of how culture is built culture is kind of built by little kids who developed other skills to avoid being swatted by big kids and when we intervene i mean this is it's just it's a it's like you're saying it's all an engineering problem and if you intervene to correct correct one thing that you you know one little leaky pipe you see that it's all part of a system and who knows who knows
0: yeah i i i guess so i hmm, I, i'm kind of i'm kind of glad it's it's not okay for big kids to hit little kids but uh, personally but i'm what worries me and what i worry about is the just the necessary hypocrisy of showing a kid hey look Here's some things I can show you some things where doing this kind of behavior instead of that kind of behavior is something you will instantly understand. Mm -hmm. Right? Where you say to someone, there's there's a natural order of things where if you say please and thank you, you will make people happy and you will get away with stuff. This is a good thing. Learn to say please and thank you. It's just, it's a really nice thing. And in in time, you learn that that's a nice idea. You could say things like, it's better to be fair rather than not fair. But then we also have to do these things that seem completely unfair. Last night, I had my daughter got up after she'd gone to bed and my wife and I were watching uh, TV and she came in and she was mad because she couldn't watch TV. So what do I say? Well, I say what I say, which is like, well, it's your bedtime now. Our bedtime is later. We're watching TV. Like, you know, should I apologize for that? No. But that mm. is inherently unfair to a little kid. Mm. It, on the, no, but just from their point of view, that's True. absolutely unfair. Like, you guys get to go have fun, and I have to go to bed. You get to use your iPad whenever you want, and I don't. Like, that's really hypocritical uh, on the face of it, and it's – but you know, so I guess what I'm saying is I think what's complicated is we're asking kids on the one hand to see certain kinds of things as being natural law and like isn't that just a good idea to do it that way? Isn't it just a good idea to close the refrigerator door so we don't waste energy and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And then other times we have to say, well, except there are times when the thing that seems really natural is actually the opposite of that and you just need to learn that. Right. That's the and part some that I, the, where I try to, you know, I, I don't have an answer to that. I think it's incredibly things confusing.
1: You, some of those things we need you to just learn like as in just memorize this rule and and one day it'll make sense and some things it's like we want you to learn the concept that governs this well, and say, say please and thank
0: it. you but don't get in a white van i still find that a very complicated <laughs> thing right right well and the thing is that i don't
1: you know uh, watching watching this experience with kids uh my instinct is to extrapolate it to adults because I feel like 99% of adult interactions are kid interactions that are just extrapolated to like... Kid interactions
0: group. plus iPhones.
1: <laughs> yeah, kid interactions plus the, the, the arrogance of feeling like because you've been alive for 25 more years, you, are, you understand things any better. And the thing is that I too believe that the big kid shouldn't be able to hit the little kid like I believe that is an evolution. And I don't think that that I think that that rule is true in America and in in Denmark and in in uh in Germany and in you know like in in certain places in the world but I don't think that that rule is necessarily true in Russia or the Ukraine or Serbia right now let alone in uh, uh places that I
0: haven't been, but have suspicions about.
1: Right. And, and, but, but what I don't, what I, so you're, saying, you're
0: saying it's unrealistic in some cultures to say that that's a natural law.
1: Oh, I don't think it is a natural law at all. And this is the point I'm making. The big kid should not hit the little kid is not a natural law. It that's is, a, what I meant, yeah. it, it is a thought technology. And the problem with us in America is that a hundred years ago, we still recognized that that was a thought technology and we were proud of having invented this idea. And it was part of, you know, it was part of our legacy of Western Europe that we had, you know, honor and you didn't hurt the little guy and you, you know, women and children first off the boat. Like these were concepts that we were, justifiably proud of because they were inventions there's nothing natural about that oh okay and in and, and if you let human beings uh, go even a little bit that the, the, you see even in in modern cultures that those rules are not that that that's like pretty far down the the road you know the big man still is in charge in most of the world still
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're all sharing the same internet, but it doesn't change the fact that you walk into a, a village somewhere and you see that the big guy's in charge, and the little guy comes up to him and says, "Hey, ba da ba da da," and he kind of whacks him, and everybody goes, "Oh shit!" You know, right? That's that is that's the that's the that's the law, the normal law. So the fact that we have the fact that we've made these advances, these cultural advances, we have the idea we have. We've expanded the idea of fairness. What has also happened to us in the last hundred years is that we've stopped recognizing that those are... um, And not even the last hundred years. We've stopped recognizing that those are thought technologies and started to talk about them as though they're natural rights. And if Hmm. if if you start making policy, if you start living your own life according to this expanded idea of natural rights... That's what causes, uh, causes a tremendous amount of confusion.
0: A lot of, Be- you're going to have a lot of cognitive dissonance. With how a lot of cognitive dissonance go. and a lot of,
1: a lot of out, uh, it's a lot of outrage because you're standing there and you're saying, how dare you? And you're saying that because you believe that, that, that somehow the, the, the intrinsic level of justice is a lot higher than it is. And what you're, what you're not doing is giving credit to all the work that went into establishing that bulwark against all against all, against a Hobbesian world. And all that work is our legacy. And I, and I understand that culturally there's a lot, we've spent a lot of effort to kind of tear down the Western European colonial, the idea that um, civilization came from, the, you know, from the English courts or whatever. But in in stripping away all of that and saying like, no, 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 we need to we need to incorporate all the the traditions of every culture. We don't want to live in this sort of dominant mode. We've forgotten that some of those some of those traditions of of chivalry and English law were novel only occurred in one place are now widely adopted, but are ultimately uh, an artificial overlay that if we want, if we believe in, we need to, we need to protect. And that begins with understanding that it is, it's like air conditioning that we invented it. It, it demonstrably makes life better. But if we don't maintain it, then it stops working again. And when the air conditioning goes off, it doesn't do any good to sit in a hot room and, and scream <laughs> that that the air conditioning went off. You have to get up and fix the air conditioning. And that is that's true of that's true really of a system of justice, too.
0: That was that was some really good explaining. You know what? You get a bell. That was good. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of mansplaining. Woo! yeah
1: Wee. that was yeah, let good me, let, i want you to mansplain something to me sure i do not oh my god i'm gonna get so many angry letters oh god please i do not let me have this one i do not understand <laughs> harry Nilsson.
0: Oh, oh you're gonna get a sad letter I'm going to get so many sad letters. Well, you're going to get several sad letters from one guy. I can think of.
1: I can think of a few guys that are going to send me some sad letters. Have you letters and
0: Sean that, gone head to head on Harry Nelson before? No, we, because we've gone, we've
1: we've we've gone head to head on so many things. You, you and, live in
0: a civil society, and you realize that's a
1: conversation you guys can't even have. And but the, here's the thing: I'm not against Harry Nelson. I everything that he does, I love. Obviously, I love his voice. Mm-hmm. I love. You don't
0: get why he's so big. I love his hits, mm-hmm. right?
1: But. The thing that everybody talks about, his songwriting, his miraculous songwriting, it seems to me that he is just sort of meandering both... He's both uh, both uh, like lyrically and melodically meandering down a path where he's kind of singing some some thoughts with a sort of sing-song melody. And, you know, you get halfway through the song, you get to the end of the song, and it's like, huh, well... Yeah. I sure I like that. That was that was good.
0: hmm
1: But but I do not have uh, I do not have this feeling that he is at the he is at the dawn of a certain kind of pop that didn't exist before. I mean maybe maybe maybe, maybe it's that it didn't exist before and I, I've grown up since then and so I don't see the novelty that maybe was apparent in 1969 or something?
0: I think it's... The, I'll, I'll Merlin playing this to you. Okay. I think part of it is the rise of the documentary. Mm. The, 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 uh, the documentary that will almost certainly feature Chuck Klosterman, Thurston Moore, and Flea at some point. <laughs> Dave Grohl will be in Dave there, Grohl, too. Dave Grohl, as you know, there was huh? a, a law that was quietly passed in the days after 9-11 that they have to be in every music documentary. <laughs> uh-huh. Or, you know, Martin Scorsese sitting in a theater... Mm-hmm. being uh, interviewed like what maybe yeah like <laughs> what's explaining um you know it's funny though because like you know we i started watching a documentary last night on nas and the making of illmatic which mm-hmm. i've listened to uh about twice or three times that i'd listened to mostly because of jay-z and their you know their feud and it's mm-hmm. a really really good record i can't like i couldn't wrap it to you the way i could like a public enemy record but i was just thinking as i watched that it was really well done beautifully made watched the first what? few minutes of it till my daughter woke up
1: I just want to ask you, did yes. I have the option that you would wrap me public enemy records? Sure. Because if I if I, if I I had known I had that option, I would have asked for it a lot, a lot
0: sooner. 1989, the number, another summer, sound of the funky drummer, music hitting you hard because I know you got soul, brothers and sisters. John Wayne was yes. a hero to most, but yes. he never meant shit to me. Straight up, raises the sucker with simple... Oh, Elvis. Elvis was a hero to most. That's right. Elvis! John, John Wayne, too. Uh, Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. Straight up uh, racist stra- sucker with a and plane. Motherfucking man, John Wayne. I'm high, black and I'm proud. And I'm, I'm proud. high plus I'm amp. Most of my heroes don't appear on no stamps. Yes. Boy, did I ever listen to that record a lot. Woo! But you know, it's See, that funny. record I understand. I got no problem
1: understanding no, that No, no, but I,
0: all I'm saying is it's it's funny because think about like, okay, think of the heavily lauded recent documentaries that were that are like, you know, good. Like the 20 Feet from Stardom. About backup right. singers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you got the one on Muscle Shoals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, there, there's been a lot of these like high-profile non-Netflix created documentaries that aren't about weed or food. Um, <laughs> that that where you watch them, and the thing is, even if you don't know anything about that person, like uh, what are other ones? The things the, things about Daniel Johnston. Like almost nobody's heard Dan, Daniel Johnston, but they think of him as this this, this character. Right, but they about him. There's something about like once somebody makes a documentary about you, like. And, and a well-made documentary, you kind of can't help but disappear into that artist, even if you've never heard them before. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's part of it. I mean, it sounds to me like you're saying, you're saying Nilsson, maybe he goes somewhere up with an Eric Carmen, Like a good pop songwriter, but, but not like...
1: Well, yeah, but it's the thing, I mean, a long time I mean, I understand like the, the resurgence based on, on like, uh, like people were looking back in time and trying, we're doing kind of a northern soul thing, except with our own culture. Mm-hmm. and saying, like, what are some of the great the great songwriters that we never heard of? Let's go right. back and find, like, the good ones. But in 1970, like, Randy Newman and, uh, <laughs> yeah, just the way I say his name, Randy Newman and, uh, and Brian Wilson.
0: Doing a podcast, and- <laughs> i recording a song, talking to John Roderick about Gary who lives in a van. <laughs> <laughs> Gary's gotta go, John's got an arsenal of civilization. Ah! black people coming over on a ship
1: (laughs) but all those guys
0: they all love nelson you know i think he is and i'm not slagging here but i Mm. think i think of him kind of like nick drake or maybe kind of like oh shit i just had it i lost it um maybe to a certain extent jimmy webb Mm -hmm. where there are these (laughs) characters that were very unusual for their time but like Nick Drake, what? he had like two records? <laughs> you
1: know? He had two records. But the thing about Nick Drake <laughs> Nick is that Drake's he good. Had, but like you know, I mean, it's he had one sound, and this is the thing about a sound, right? If you make two, if you make two records, and even one of them just has a sound all the way through it, yeah, it's like that's all he needed to do. He just invented a sound, and then he can go, or not invented, but he 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 perfected a sound, and then he can get on the the boat and go across the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about the thing about Nilsson is that every song is different, and so it's not clear what the you know what the connection is. He didn't invent a sound, right? He's got the, right. he's got that great voice, but he's um
0: he I, I don't know. I, I'd have to spend more time now. Where do you stand on where do you stand on, uh, where do you stand on um, say a John Deck? You got a feeling. I'm trying to think of some other documentary uh, people or a Scott Walker. You got a feeling on a Scott Walker. Have you ever Uh, seen that documentary? I haven't seen the Scott Walker documentary. Oh, brother, you need to see that one. That guy's got a lot of fucking balls in the air. Uh, Scott Walker, you're saying? Scott Walker from the Walker Brothers, and so basically, he was in the Walker Brothers. He did those righteous brothers style songs covers, and then like the last Walker Brothers record was pretty fucking weird. And then he went solo, and each subsequent record of his has been more like totally bananas. Mm-hmm. And in the documentary, you can see him uh, recording. He records an album about every ten years now, and so the the percussion involves like hitting a side of beef and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. it's harrowing and uh, and delightful. You know, you know, you know the singer though. You know, you, you've heard of, you know his. Yeah. Tunes. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. Ah, uh, 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 I feel like I need to, uh, I need to watch some more music documentaries. is one thing. We're gonna but, but make I'll, this music month. You know what? We should. We should just make this music month. We should talk about Keep music the, the whole time. Yeah. Um. I. I do. I feel like. Um, I feel like as I am thinking about starting to rejoin the songwriting game. And wondering like what my place in it is, and what I what I have to contribute to the songwriting uh, pile. <laughs> Contributing to the pile. You know, watching these guys uh, and and uh, and gals who do it successfully and find their own way through. You know, like I mean, I I don't understand Joni Mitchell either, but I. Definitely understand that without Joni Mitchell, there would be no Sheryl Crow. And without Sheryl Crow, where would we be? (laughs) So in that sense, thank God. I was
0: with you all along. (laughs) Then you sang about a Sheryl Crow song. (laughs) Going to the car wash Tuesday morning.
1: Gets up every morning and writes a song. That's what he does. Randy Newman gets up every morning, he has a cup of coffee, he has a bagel, and he goes down to the studio and he writes songs until it's it's quitting time.
0: Went to bed late, (laughs) now I'm feeling kind of foul. I'm going to get up, I'm going to move my bowels. (laughs) And then the whistle goes off.
1: (laughs) And then he meets the sheepdog at the punch-out machine. Hey,
0: Frank. (laughs) Hey, George. Hey, Randy. (laughs) Hey, Randy. (laughs) Okay. That's good. Uh Scott Walker 30 century man